Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. A very pleasant good evening to you. It's good to be back on another edition of That's Truth. We do trust that you will be able to stay with us for the entire program tonight. And I do trust that you will receive real spiritual enlightenment and encouragement from the program as we bring to you God's truths from His Holy Word. I am Augustine Erskine. And Pastor Murphy is here also to answer your questions. So I do trust that you will get involved tonight and join in the conversation. Pastor Murphy, a very pleasant good evening to you. Good evening, my brother. Pleasure to be here again this evening. Well, we are going to continue on the topic marriage and same-sex marriage. I do trust that you have been enjoying the program so far that we have been doing on this topic. And I do trust that you will send in your questions and Pastor Murphy will be glad to answer them for you. We have some questions from last week and so we are going to begin with these questions and they have to do with marriage. Pastor Murphy, we have a WhatsApp message here from Toronto, Canada and the question is, explain, let no man put asunder. Can God put a marriage asunder? Well, let me um, point out to you that marriage is a covenant between two people. Uh, I mentioned in my last uh, discussion on this subject that God is a third party uh, who holds uh, that couple uh, responsible and hold them accountable. Marriage can be dissolved, but it has to be dissolved biblically. And I've said on another occasion that there are two biblical grounds for divorce. One, if a third party enters the relationship and there is adultery, that has destroyed the oneness that the Bible talks about. I'm not advocating, as I've said in the previous program, that because of adultery that divorce is the natural consequence of it. I always think there's room for forgiveness and healing and restoration, but I do believe that once a person has broken that covenant in terms of that, that, that um, oneness the Bible talks about, I do believe that the marriage, the person, the innocent party, has a right to, to divorce. I'm not saying that they should, but they do have a right to divorce. And I, um, So I think God honors the covenant that was made. It's a covenant between two people. There are certain conditionalities that are laid down within the covenant. You make certain promises, certain vows. And those vows that are made before God uh, are to be held to. If one person violates those vows and go outside the marriage to find satisfaction or uh, fall through its, its uh, sinful nature... Um, that again as the violation of the vows and that, that gives a right to, um, to divorce. So I, I think that it's not that God that sunders the marriage, I think it's the individual that sunders the marriage. And I think God, the same way God honors the, the vows and um, God sanctions the vows and the, the conditions are not met or they're violated, I think in the same way he, he honors that as well. The other grounds for divorce, I believe, is abandonment. That is where a, per, a person uh, abandons their partner, goes off either to the States or maybe England, or maybe remain in Antigua but completely uh, have nothing to do with the partner any longer. My recommendation to people who have experienced that is to wait uh, for conscience' sake because eventually the person will get involved in some kind of adultery or, or, or fornication, whatever it is. And again, that would be another biblical grounds. But I do believe that if a person is abandoned, um, I do believe that... Um, 
they also have a right to divorce. Um, my argument for that, by the way, comes from uh, Corinthians, the book of Corinthians chapter 7. And maybe another time we could go into some detail as to why I believe that's a, a basis for divorce. But to answer your question, uh, it's not God that uh, is severing the marriage because he has made it very clear what he has joined, let no man put asunder. But once those vows and that covenant is broken, it's the individual that severs the marriage and, uh, and breaks the marriage asunder. And God recognizes that because the, the vows were violated. Thank you, Pastor Murphy. And also like to thank that listener from Canada for sending in that question. We do appreciate you doing so. We have a WhatsApp message here from Antigua. And the question is, would you marry a couple who can't have children? Or would you suggest a couple who can't have children not to get married? This is one of the disadvantages of technology. Under normal circumstances, uh, we would proceed to get married and we would not know whether or not we have the potential to have children or not. But the reproductive technology is such a heightened level of uh, today that you can actually um, find out if it is possible to have children or not have children. And I think a couple, um, if they're concerned about their future, should have medical tests and do whatever exams that are necessary to safeguard unhappiness and um, false expectations that are created previous to marriage, but which can actually be detrimental to marriage if they're not met. And I think children is one of those things. However, if a, a couple came to me and said, Pastor, we want to get married, and uh, but we've been to the doctor, or we have discovered that we can't have children, uh, what would you advise? My first initial instinct would be to recommend that they reconsider um, their commitment to marriage. I think marriage in- includes children. Now I think I know that marriage should include ch- ch- children. Um, but that would be my first inclination. And look, what is love, by the way? Love is not what I want or what the person wants. Want, love is what's in the best interest for the relationship and the best interest for the individual. It must not be a one-sided thing. I'm, I want children and therefore that's my primary concern or I, I can't have whatever it is. Uh, we have to understand that children are vitally important. I've known of Christians who are married and later discovered that the partner couldn't have a child. And I must confess to my dismay and to my regret and also to my shame, uh, I've known of some of those people who've gone outside the marriage so they can have a child. Uh, it's a very painful uh, experience. I know of somebody right now who's been trying to have a, a, um, a child for many, many years. As a matter of fact, we warned the couple before they got married that they had to be careful about going on the pill that the pill could impede the capacity to to uh, have children. And we told them, that, listen, if you do decide to go on the pill, two things you need to do. Check to find out what that pill does. Uh, there are some pills that prevent pregnancy, but there are some some pills that could create abortion. <laughs> there are Christians who are using pills that don't even know they're aborting children. So they're actually killing human life. And that is something that a couple should really find out for the doctor and maybe read it on the uh, form of pill that is used. What exactly it does? How does it, does it prevent pregnancy? Or does it, after the person has become pregnant, it can destroy the baby? Uh, you have to get those things settled because you don't want to live with a guilty conscience that inadvertently you've been responsible for the death of not just one but several kids. Um, that is one uh, thing that I would uh, would uh, off- suggest that that's why you need to get uh, medical tests. But also, um, if you're going to be married to a person who has not been is not a virgin and uh, who has played the field before, and you've met this person, uh, you should always get a medical test as long as both of you are not virgins to ascertain whether or not you have contracted the HIV virus. The HIV virus can stay in your system for almost 20 years. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, uh, but it's a real, real danger that people uh, expose themselves to. I'm, I, as a pastor, when I'm going to marry people and I discover that they have not been, um, they're not virgins, they're not faithful, I recommend, strongly recommend, on the condition that, uh, for me to marry them that they have a test. I don't want to carry the burden that I've married somebody that I could have prevented misery. And I was a coward 
that I didn't want them to find out, etc., etc. Love is acting in the best interests of an individual, and I think any partner uh, who has not been faithful to the Lord in regard to guarding their sexuality and who have violated the sacred vows of Scripture uh, in terms of his uh, personal morality, I think that person should be humble enough and honest enough to be willing to take a test if the partner requires it because you can put a person's life in jeopardy. You can put children's life in jeopardy in the future. So um, that would be my view on the matter. However, uh, if both persons look at all the facts and uh, they know all the facts, listen, these are the repercussions. This is how it can affect you five or ten years from now. Um, And they said, Pastor, we believe that this is God's will. Uh, I would tell you this. I probably would proceed with the marriage, but I would do everything to discourage it uh, because I have lived long enough to see how important a child is to a marriage. And at first, it doesn't seem that important because people think marriage is just jumping into bed. But that's that's one small factor of marriage. And later on in life, uh, every man wants to carry on his, his, his name, want to carry on his, his legacy, whatever it is. And he finds it strange that he desires a child. Uh, so I, I would discourage it. But if the two individuals were totally convinced that it was God's will, I probably would go ahead. And uh, Because had they not had the technology, they probably would have gotten married in any way. Uh, but that would be an exception I would make. But generally speaking, I would discourage it. I would suggest the, the couple, especially if one, um, you know, I'm not too sure if it's because it told them the, sometimes it's blood types. That is a problem. I have a sister that had one child and she, she can't have any more children. She needed some kind of medication um, after she had her first child that would have facilitated her having uh, other children. But at the time, she didn't have the means of getting that, that, that medication done. So I would discourage it, but if they were totally convinced after looking at all the factors, short-term and long-term, I probably, in a case like that, would uh, make an exception to the rule and uh, perform the wedding. Thank you, Pastor Murphy. I was thinking along that line, too, if the couple are convinced that it's God's will for them to get married, because just having children is not the only reason for marriage, they can live and have a good relationship, and they've been companion, good companion to each other. They could enjoy their marriage life. The other thing is, I might say that, uh, rather that, you know, the doctors might give a diagnosis, you can't have children, but the God factor is not, not taken into the whole thing. Look at Sarah, look at uh, Hannah. Uh, for years they went without a child, and then God intervened and granted them a child. So it's not as though because the doctor has made a diagnosis that it is written in in granite and God can't alter and change human opinion. God is the one that gives life, and uh, he can intervene and he can do miraculous things. So that even though the doctor might give that uh, that diagnosis, um, still God can change that and it's possible to have a child. Pastor Murphy, when we think of marriage... It is not just a man and a woman thing. The question is, how does marriage help um, society? I th- I'm glad you, you mentioned that because I think a lot of people um, think that marriage is just a personal matter, just about me and my partner and uh, um, our own private lives. But that is never the only dimension to marriage. Um, uh, marriage is also has to do with community. It has to do with society. And uh, one of the factors that uh, one needs to look at is while they're, they're, they talk about doing away with marriage and now trying to change the definition of marriage and coming up with all different types and forms of marriage, which is a distortion, we need to recognize that marriage has some um, benefits, some, it, it, it has some important consequences for a society. Uh, Dr. Glenn Stanton uh, in one of his books, um, talks about four primary goals or, or, or um, benefits of marriage to to a society, and I just want to mention those to you. He says that one of the benefits is that it, uh, marriage has a way of regulating sexuality, 
And what he means by that, um, it's marriage, procreation, and life really should come within the context of marriage. And that's the whole purpose of marriage. Uh, I was t- speaking to our church on, on Thursday, and I, I threw out, out the question to them, and I said to them, imagine if you had a world in which every child had a mom and a dad living in a home where they're married and looking after each other and showing love and affection. Think of the transformative effect that would have on society. And this is what God intended. A lot of the problems that we face in society, a lot of the social problems and crime problems, really, is because man has violated God's standard and he is sown to the wind and now we're reaping the whirlwind. But a marriage is supposed to regulate sexuality, both in terms of creation, but also to protect um, uh, women from opportunistic men who will take advantage of their weaknesses and abuse them sexually for their own personal satisfaction without any kind of commitment or long-term commitment in terms of marriage. Uh, I think a woman sells herself cheap when she surrenders to a man in, in, in any kind of a sexual act prior to marriage, I think that she weakens her capacity to find a, a future partner. I think she scars her life in terms of her mind uh, in the future. And I, I feel very strongly that it creates a case where trust is um, suspicious. And I think that is detrimental to a woman in that regard. The other thing about uh, marriage for society that it helps socialize and domesticate the male nature. Uh, men, by nature, are very strong sexual predators, basically. And uh, one thing that marriage does, it, it kind of socializes them and domesticate, domesticates them. It causes a man to settle down and begin to focus uh, on caring for his wife and caring for his children. And it tames the wildness in him or it should, because he now has a legitimate means of expression, uh, fulfilling his his, his, uh, his sexual desires. So not only it, it regulates sexuality, but it socializes the, the male and domesticates the male, so that his focus now, rather than womanizing and running around like a, a Don Juan and a village ram, he now begins to focus on his own wife and begins to focus on his children. The third thing is that uh, it protects women from opportunistic men in the sense that it empowers them within a relationship. Wherever there is a relationship where there's commitment, it's to the benefit of the woman. Wherever there is a relationship without any commitment, a woman always suffers. And that's why marriage is so important, because it, it ties it one down to certain vows and, uh, and, and a covenant relationship. And then the fourth thing is that it ensures that a child gets from both parents the attention, the care, and the provision that that child needs and requires until they come to adulthood. So those are four, uh, I don't want to say uh, non-biblical, because I think the principles are inherently within Scripture. But clearly, it regulates sexuality, it socializes and domesticates the male nature, it protects women from opportunistic men, and empowers them within a relationship, and it ensures that the child gets the uh, proper attention, care, and provision that is required uh, from both parents until that child comes into adulthood. Pastor Murphy? Brother, before you move on to another thing, I just a thought just hit me a moment ago, um, and I jotted it down when I talked about socializing and domesticating the, the male nature. You know, I've seen recently and adver- advertisements um, when I'm watching uh, NBA and watching uh, so on. Uh, this popular ad about Black Stallion, I don't know if any if you've seen it or heard it, but the whole idea behind that advertise advertisement as I'm, I'm listening to it, I'm seeing what is being presented, and I think it is so demeaning to women. It is just making a man see a woman just as a pure sex object, whether he's married to her or not married to her. He's a stallion, and uh, he got all this stamina, and he must uh, leave playing his dominoes and run off because he takes stallion to go and, and, and uh, you know. And I also think it's destructive to the mindset of our youth, because when we have that being drilled into the minds of our youth, and the, it is so glamorized, this idea of being a stallion. Uh, in society, I don't know how adults uh, can blame the young people for the situation that we find our world in. They themselves have created the environment 
that has got youth where they no longer have any sexual restraint and the advertising agencies uh, it's all really about selling sex and it's a pity that we have stooped to such a low level that we would be actually advocating that uh, our young people and our young men become stallions going through the villages and, and just taking advantage of women if women don't see how demeaning that is, if I was a woman I would protest I really would protest. Uh, and it's a shame that um, this is going on in our society, and I don't know how eventually we'll stop it, except we preach the gospel and men get saved and society be transformed. But certainly uh, it's very difficult to s- censor uh, the advertising agencies, even though we know that it's not ennobling the life of our young people, it's actually degrading them. Pastor Murphy, that's the way those commercial stations make their money. Well, you know, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. And I, I, I really believe that's the real truth, that a lot of the evil in society, a lot of the corruption in society, people are motivated purely in terms of dollars and cents. And uh, why we can condone, condemn uh, the past, slavery and abuse, etc., we need to realize that in our society there are people who are taking advantage of, of the unfortunate and people who are impressionable. And the whole motive behind it is the same profit motive that drove slavery, the same profit motive that drives the sexual culture. It's all about money. And as we continue, we have two WhatsApp messages here, Pastor Murphy, both yes, from Antigua. The first one states that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. What does it take for Christ to divorce the church? Well, um, Christ will never divorce the church. I think I, th- I know you s- that was written facetiously and maybe suggesting that because he would not divorce the church, um, uh, there should not be any kind of divorce. I understand where it's coming from. But let me just say this. Uh, you're dealing with God in relation to his treatment of man. His covenant with man is irrevocable. His covenant with man is unbreakable. Uh, We know that we are sealed until the day of redemption. Uh, We believe in eternal security, and uh, Christ will never divorce the the church. Um, That is the true church, by the way. Uh, He has made it very clear in the book of Revelation that he will remove the candlestick, so he actually can remove a church. Uh, and he's actually done that with many churches. There are many churches who are still open, but there is no power there. There is no gospel there. There's, there. It's more like a social club. We come together, have a good time. We go home. We have some socials. But there's no divine activity going on. There's no transformation. Nobody getting saved, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. However, I'd like to say this. Please don't use that as a basis for two human beings coming together in a fallen world. Uh, they are not perfect people that come into a marriage. Uh, and that is why uh, we got to understand that God is just. We know that God is love. But it is inconceivable for me to imagine that God would treat the innocent person like he would treat the guilty. And I have known of some marriages that were horrendous. Uh, I'm talking people who are proposed, supposed to be Christians. I've known of one partner trying to save the marriage would do anything on planet Earth to save that marriage. But and normally it's the the, uh, the woman who's trying to save the marriage. Uh, but that individual went his own way, and uh, eventually it has to do with a, another woman in most cases, a third party. And um, I, I've known that not the woman wasn't even willing to give a divorce, but the way it is in, 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 the, in the Caribbean now, whether I want to give you a divorce or not, <laughs> if I want a divorce, I can divorce you, because we've got a no-fault divorce clause uh, today. So I don't cannot conceive of the innocent person in a relationship who has done everything within their power to try to bring about healing and restoration and uh, rebuilding of the relationship. The partner uh, is so hardened that they've gone off and um, break the relationship, go on and get themselves mixed up with another person, issues a divorce, um, whatever is required, and, and uh, the third, the, third, the innocent party must remain uh, for the balance of their life in a state of celibacy when God has not gifted them to be celibate. And that's why I believe that um, adultery, immorality, um, breaks that oneness and 
um, allows the innocent party to proceed with the deal, and also abandonment. Abandonment normally uh, eventually ends up in the same thing as uh, some form of immorality. So basically, at its core, it boils down to the same thing. So Christ will not divorce the church, the true church. Christ will remove the candlestick, and and, um, the church that is not the true church, eventually its witness and its testimony will die out. Because it has no life, the life of Christ is not there. What's your next question, my brother? What are the pastor's views on gay couples being allowed to adopt children? I do not know of a pastor within the, the Baptist circle who, number one, will ever support gay marriage. Two men can never be married. Two women can never be married because that is not marriage. It doesn't matter if a government legalizes that. Government legalizing a matter cannot give it moral um, power. And no Christian, no Christian is obligated to obey any immoral law that goes contrary to Scripture. So uh, let me just say very clearly that we are not only, we are, first of all, we are against any form of gay marriage. Uh, um, I will never perform a gay marriage. I will never recognize a gay couple as married because they are not married. And the other thing is, what follows from there, and by the way, I think this is worse than gay marriage now uh, because you're bringing uh, children into the whole uh, problem and you are giving gay people the right to adopt children. They can't produce children, but yet you're giving the right to to, to have children to do what? To pass on the lifestyle of, uh, of a guy who's a homosexual. He adopts. Can you imagine two homosexuals adopting a little boy, four, five, six? Do you know what goes on in the homosexual uh, lifestyle? I wish that it was possible uh, to really explain to the public what are the activities that are engaged in within the homosexual relationship. I think if people really knew, they would see that it's not only evil, but is hazardous to the health of a nation. No question about that. Could I remind you that AIDS started in the homosexual community, or have we forgotten that? Has it been so long that we forgot that's where it all started? And I think something worse is coming. I don't know what it is, but I can guarantee you something worse is coming. Because clearly... A penis was not meant for an anus. And uh, for that to, to go on, and just just think about a sewage canal and think of what is involved and the, the health ramifications of that. Uh, just think about that for just a moment. It'll almost turn your stomach. But, that's, but just imagine now putting a little boy in that environment. And don't remember that, don't forget that these gays are proud <coughs> of being gay, they're not embarrassed. They want everybody to be gay like themselves. So what does it do? What do they do when they bring a young boy into a setting, or two women with a, a le- big, uh, two lesbians bringing adopting a, a girl, or even adopting a boy, feminizing him? See. So um, not only are we against any form of gay marriage, we are against any law that would give gays a right to adopt children. Uh, I cannot see how any sensible West Indian government could ever countenance the idea that they would give gays the right to adopt children. I think that should bring about a civil disobedience in this country and an uproar, a moral uproar in this country. Not only this country, but the entire Caribbean should that be allowed. So I I feel very strongly about it. And all the pastors that I know within my circle, our circle, um, would probably hold the same position. I would be quite surprised of anyone who would hold a, a deviant position than this. You know, Pastor Murphy, I was thinking this afternoon that just before the flood, you had marital and sexual perversion, like the angels wanted to cohab with the sons of God and so forth. And God brought judgment upon mankind. And I'm thinking that I don't know what God is going to do, and I'm no prophet, but it's in my spirit that God is going to judge societies for this evil that they are perpetuating today. Well, one only has to read the book of Revelations, uh, Revelation, when God pours out His wrath 
the wrath of God is being dammed up. But one day that dam is going to break. And when it breaks, the Bible says there's coming a time that there never was, nor never ever will be again. But clearly, uh, man is setting up himself for divine... I think, in my judgment, by the way, uh, modern society is already under divine wrath. We always think of divine wrath in terms of lightning and thunder and maybe fire and brimstone. But remember, divine wrath is also expressed when the Bible says that God gave them over to do what they want. God removes his restraining hand and allow man to do his worst. And that leads man into deeper degradation. Uh, and the ultimate judgment of God is when the church is raptured, and he who, who hinders will be removed. So the, we must not always think of judgment in terms of fire and brimstone. We must also think that there's this restraining hand of God, this moral restraining hand of God, that as man goes his way, God and man wants his way, and man doesn't obey God, God eventually removes his hand and gives them over to a, what the Bible calls a reprobate mind. I think that's where we are today. This reprobate mindset. We've not only gone from uh, the sexual revolution where every man now uh, couldn't care less if he's married or not. He could just have sex as much as he wants. Uh, and then we move away from Then we had divorce. No fault divorce. And then, of course, uh, with the advent of the pill. Uh, the, uh, having now we can have contraceptions and then that leads us now to abortion so follow the steps we're not getting any better so now we've got the sexual freedom uh, we have means of controlling but even if we don't control and we produce children we don't want children so we're trying to prevent having children when we do get children we kiss kill them so we've added uh, not only immorality, we've now added murder to the picture. But now we've gone beyond that. We've gone to perversion now. You're not satisfied with having a woman and a man. We now want a woman, a woman, and a man. But we've even gone beyond that now. See? I mean, now I am a different gender. All of this is a subtle attack on God and God's creation. And may I say this? When you analyze what is happening, the foundational issue here is the theory of evolution. The West has abandoned scripture, abandoned the Bible based. They've embraced the idea that man came here by chance. There is no meaning to life. There's no purpose. We're just a concatenated nation of, of atoms. Uh, there is no God. There's no future. There is no judgment. There's no accountability. There's no such thing as morality because if there's no God, there's no morality. And you can see now that. It, we come to the point now where a person can say, I'm not a gender. Why? Because if God did not create genders and it was just done accidentally, maybe I'm a freak. So we have played into it. We are now reaping what we sowed uh, by embracing Darwin's theories. And now we are at the point where we are so confused, we cannot even now point out right from wrong and point out to people that your gender is not something that you create is something a gift that God has given to you. You don't decide your your identity, sexual identity. God decides that. But you see if there's no God, I know um a God in myself and I can decide who I think I am, who I want to be. And by the way, that is leading <laughs> down a track. Uh there's a lady uh now who is saying that she has the instincts of a cat. So she was born into a, a, the wrong species. Now wh- where is that going to end? When we go away from God and go away from truth, we always embrace falsehood. And I think that's where we are today. Pastor Murphy, yesterday I was talking to someone. <laughs> we are going down that road there. But um, there's transgender. It's how you feel. And I was saying, if you feel like a dog, uh-huh. you're going to want to be a dog? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's comical that uh, we could reach the age of the supposed age of enlightenment where all the scientific knowledge tells us what a man is and what a woman is. I mean, scientists for years could tell you that their biological factors, uh, their hormonal factors that define uh, maleness from uh, female, the genders. But we have now, because we have created the, the, the atmosphere where there is no God, we're just accidents in the universe. We're just a random coming together of atoms that came together with no design, no purpose, no end, no meaning. Now, if that is true, who has the right to tell me who I am? I now have a right to decide for myself. That's where we are. 
And we're going back to the book of Judges when every man did that which is right in his own sight. So we are headed back to the cycle of Judges. As, it, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the heavens. That which is, that which was, is what shall be. And that's where we had it. And what will change all of this is when we come back to God, we have a, a spiritual revival in our nation, among our people, in our churches, and people then come back under the fear of God and come back to the biblical standard. Then society will change. The government cannot save us. Education cannot save us. Only God can. And the church doesn't seem to believe that. You tell me, Pastor Murphy, we are condemning the same-sex marriage. Why is a one-woman, one-man marriage unique from other relationships? Well, it's very, very clear that when God was going to choose a partner for Adam. Now, you remember, if you go back to Genesis, exactly how God stimulated in Adam's mind the desire for a partner. The Bible said that God paraded all the animals before Adam. And Adam saw the land with the lioness. He saw Mrs. Dinosaur with Mr. Dinosaur. He saw Mr. Pig with, with uh, the boar and stuff like that. And there was not found a suitable companion. It was to create in Adam, hey, you notice that there are two? Everybody has a partner, but you don't have one. And out of that, they said that there was not found a suitable partner for Adam. And then the Bible said that God uh, gave man a sleep, performed surgery on him, and took part of him and make a woman. And notice that God said he would make a help meet someone suitable to Adam. And that partner that was suitable to Adam was Eve. Only a woman and a man constitutes marriage. And that is a unique bond and a unique relationship for several reasons. A husband and a wife, this heterogeneous um, relationship, they influence each other in different ways and in very important ways than any other relationship, whether male to male or female to female. The combination of male and female, of, of um, male, uh, a woman and a man, the influences on each other is so unique. Number two, a husband and a wife influences their children in a different essential ways that are necessary for the healthy development of that child. That's why you need a mom and a dad. The mom brings to the marriage certain qualities, personal qualities, characteristics, personality um, traits, etc., etc., that are unique to her. A man also brings his own traits and unique. And it's the complement of these uh, different variety of personalities and characters and, and virtues that come from each other that help to mold and shape the child into what that child should be as he grows and develops. That's why it's important for a, a child to have a mom and a dad. Uh, you need the tenderness of a mom. You need the the, the harshness of a, of a father. You need the objectivity of a man. You need the subjectivity of a woman. Uh, you need the the intuition of a woman. You need the factual nature of a man that complements uh, the, the and then uh, the third thing is that a man and a woman coming together in a marital union is the most intimate secure and absolutely long lasting consequential act of any two human beings coming together to form a relationship uh, it's bringing back the two that the remember the Bible says that God made them made man in his own image he made them male and female in his own image when a man and a woman comes together uh, these are the two distinct parts that create the wholeness of what God intended for for man uh, and so it, it actually brings together the two different parts uh, to bring about total fulfillment and wholeness uh, as far as humanity is concerned and then a male and a female are essential because it, it brings uh, different aspects, uh, different elements. For example, a woman has a different perspective than a man would have. A woman has different skills than a man would have. Uh, a woman has insight uh, differently than a man would have insight. And of course, the two of them have a, a, a body of wisdom that is unique to each person. And they all got different gifts and different experiences. So when you take all these different uh, factors into consideration, you can see the wisdom of God at work. You can see his omniscience, his knowledge, his perception, uh, understanding the importance of it. This is not an accident, sir. This is designed by God 
and what God has designed is perfect. And that's why it is such a unique relationship that a man and a woman come together within the marriage. And that's why a man and a man and a woman can never fulfill and uh, these particular aspects that I'm talking about. And as we continue, Pastor Murphy, we have a question here from Antigua, a WhatsApp message. Explain for me Mark chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. And he said unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committed adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband, and be married to another, she committed adultery. Um, this divorce thing, probably we need to do a program on it because it, it's not, you're not going to be able to cover it as extensively should. However, I would say in the context of what you have there in Mark, again, it's talking about a person putting away a partner. If that person puts away a partner and they do not have biblical grounds to divorce, they commit adultery. That's simple. So you just can't take one isolated verse and build a doctrine on that. You've got to take the whole scriptures. You've got to go down to uh, Mark, Matthew, try to explain where the, there's the exception clause there. Now, I've, I'm very familiar, by the way, with the exception clause being told that it referred to Jewish practice of being um, espoused to a person, and during the premarital period that the person committed adultery, that's what he's referring to. I, I, I can deal with that at another time, but I'm not going to, uh, I don't think we can do that on this program tonight. All I would say to the, the, the person who's uh, sending that question, don't just take one isolated verse like that. Go through all the, the Gospels, all four of the Gospels, and, and compile the passages that deal with um, divorce and see what the exception clause was. So you must interpret Mark in terms of the exception clause. If a person puts away a person, uh, their partner, they commit adultery. But they only commit adultery if that person puts away that person without having biblical grounds. If the person does it on the basis of biblical grounds, it cannot be adultery. And by the way... um, Again, I want to remind people that part of the... You've got to think that God is a just God, okay? And I, I think that's exp- specifically why the Lord included the exception clause. Marriage is designed for two people. A, a sacred vow before God to remain true to each other, loyal and faithful to each other. It's not intended for anybody to go outside of the marriage to find satisfaction. When that happens, the whole marriage is over. I don't think men really understand... Uh, how much damage it does to a woman when they go outside the marriage to find satisfaction. Her whole image, self-image is gone. Uh, she perceives herself as though that she, there's a mission dimension to her life. It tears her apart. Uh, it destroys her self-worth. It demeans her, her, her character. And uh, it, it sometimes it is so difficult to live in an environment like that. It breaks down trust. This whole world is built on trust. And once trust goes, everything goes. The only reason you've got your money in the bank is because you trust the bank. But the moment you know that you can't trust the bank, there is a, uh, a run on the bank for, to, for people to withdraw. Everything is based on trust. But the most sacred trust is between a man and a woman. And that's why when we have so demean marriage, so demean sex, no wonder we can't keep marriages together because we don't value it. Marriage is sacrosanct. Marriage, uh, sex is sacrosanct. It belongs only within the context of marriage. And we're not going to change our view to become popular with anybody. We're going to hold to the scriptural position. I will not marry a person who has violated their vows and been the guilty party in, 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 in uh, bringing about a divorce. I will not marry that guilty person. And I think if pastors would take positions, strong positions like this, it would discourage uh, men from being so bold and brazen and so callous, and women as well, towards this whole matter. But because the church has surrendered in the interest of ministering to people or be ingratiating themselves and to become relevant with society, we have broken down the very morals of society that we should be maintaining by our lackadaisical attitude towards biblical truth. And I think that's one of the great failures. So that is why we've lost a voice uh, in the marketplace in terms of speaking uh, moral truth any longer. But I will not be part and party of that. And uh, I would rather get the approval of God 
and face the disapproval of man than to be approved by men and be disapproved by God. I rather that I be sanctioned by him rather than being sanctioned by man. Pastor Murphy, on the other hand, there are those who strongly against any kind of a divorce and they have scriptural reason to back up what they believe. I don't dispute that. I don't dispute that, but what I'm saying to you is this. This is a contentious area that people will differ in because a lot of times we were taught certain things. And it's very hard. The first time you were taught a particular teaching and you've been taught that, it's very hard to change because it's already there. And that's the problem of trying to win a cult over, by the way. Uh, uh, That's why the church should always try to get the people before the cults get to them. Because the moment they embrace some cultic doctrine, no matter how you try to bring them back to biblical truth, you're seldom successful with it. You know why? Because human nature has an affinity to falsehood. It embraces it. And uh, that creates a big problem. So I do not dispute with anybody who says, Pastor, I disagree with you. Fine and dandy. We can disagree on the matter. If you think you have strong biblical grounds, I'm not going to advocate that you change your biblical grounds for that. Uh, You hold to what your convictions are in terms of biblical truth. I just happen to uh, have read several books on this matter. I've looked at it myself. I've preached on it. I've taught on it. And I am convinced uh, of my position being the the proper position. But I do not in any way going to clash with a person who says, listen, this is what uh, I believe, etc., etc. What I'm concerned is that we don't break down the morals of society. And I don't think I'm breaking down the morals of society. I think I'm emphasizing the importance of marriage. And it is so important, I'm discouraging people from going outside the marriage to find satisfaction with the idea, well, I can go ahead and do it and there are no consequences. Pastor, we have a listener from Nevis who would like to go live on air. Hello, good evening. Good evening. You have a question? Yes, I would like the pastor to explain Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32, where Jesus said, But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, committeth, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her, that is divorce, commits adultery. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. What's your take on it? You like to stay on the air or you hang up? I'll stay on the air while. Yeah. My view on the matter um, in that particular passage is that the exception clause there uh, clearly uh, gives the person who has been violated um, you've got vows that are made, you've got a covenant that's made between two people. That covenant carries certain obligations. One of those obligations is fidelity to the relationship. Uh, the Bible talks about the two becoming one. There's the biblical concept of oneness. When a man and a woman come together in a sexual encounter within marriage, that's a oneness. Um, the obligation is on the partner to stay within the marriage and not violate the marriage. I believe, uh, from my view, that when that is violated, uh, the person goes outside the marriage and commits adultery. By the way, the word that is used there is not just the word for um, adultery. It's the general Greek term for any kind of immorality. And that would include such things as a person finding out their partner is a bisexual. I've known of situations like that as well. Um, they're married. They don't have a clue. I know one case where a lady went to the doctor and um, she was having some problems and the doctor told her madam whoever you're sleeping with is a homosexual Uh and she was appalled because she said but the only person I sleep with is my husband she said did did you hear what I tell you whoever you're with is a homosexual it's only then that she discovered that her husband was a bisexual what do you do in a situation like that again that gives that woman a right is she going to put her life in jeopardy continuing that relationship where she can take all of but that's the way he knew that she was a, had been with a homosexual because there's certain diseases that are unique to homosexual right and that's why I think that the Lord allows the innocent party to proceed with divorce the guilty party as I keep saying I would never marry 
a person who has been guilty of violating the marriage and is the one who is the guilty party, that person has no right, no privilege of remarriage. But the innocent person cannot be punished and, and kept in, in that situation. God, the Bible said in another passage in, 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 in uh, Rome, Romans chapter 7, Corinthians chapter 7, that God has called us to peace. And in that passage, by the way, is referring to the man who abandons his wife and completely abandons her and leaves her, doesn't want to do anything with her, etc., etc. And uh, Paul is very, very clear on that passage as well, that when that person is abandoned, they are no longer in bondage. And that word bondage is the same word of the Jews where it says a woman is bond, bound to her husband so long as her husband is alive. But once he's abandoned her, completely abandoned her, uh, she is the innocent party. I believe as well that she has a right uh, for the, to divorce. But, sir, may I say this? If you believe that divorce is never an option, hold to your beliefs. I am not going to try to pull you away from that. I just have to believe in the justice of God. I believe in the love of God. And I believe as well that God takes our vows very seriously. And when those vows are violated... Remember, you're dealing with two human beings who come into a relationship. They had other options. They could have married somebody else. They've actually given of themselves completely to the other person. Now to be betrayed in a way like that, I think it is terrible for that to happen. And I believe that God has, through His grace, has allowed for those kind of exceptions. And I do believe that that person has a legitimate right uh, to divorce. Carlo, thank you very much for calling. Good night. Okay then. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.